Greetings again in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Pastor May J. G. Gilbert Sr. Coming to you on this Friday evening at our On the Wall Eat Ministries here at our Bible Institute Hour. We thank God for you joining us on this evening as we study. We do uh, want to thank each of you that had prayers, that sent up prayers and condolences and cards and letters and calls uh, during the loss of my brother and uh, John Marshall Gilbert. We funeralized him on last Saturday, but we do thank God for you. Praying for us, getting us through, dropping by some food, doing some uh, act of kindness. We do thank God for that, and we hope that uh, uh, that you continue to uh, just glorify God and give him all praise, glory, and honor. But we do thank God for you joining us on this Friday evening for our Bible study. We've been studying the crucifixion, salvation, uh, and the glory of God. We've been studying that on this past a uh, few weeks, and we got through last week, we talked about the doctrine of atonement, uh, and then hopefully tonight we'll get into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, along with the doctrine of depravity, then maybe we'll be able to get into uh, the doctrine of, uh, of uh, regeneration, but I think we're going to try to get to those first two studies, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the doctrine of depravity, so let's get into a uh, word of prayer. Let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, again tonight. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come. And as we come, Lord, we ask that you would just lower your dear servant down to the deep well of thy salvation. Touch my lips that I may boldly say those things that you have laid upon my heart. Lord, we thank you. We pray for those that are in our hearing audience. We pray for those that are sick, those that are shut in, those that are bereaved. Lord, we ask that you would touch them in a mighty way, Lord. Just touch their hearts and touch their mind and soul body and so that they might be able to feel your presence during their time of suffering, during their time of challenges in this world. But we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to be that blessing, that we might be able to show others that the love of God is in our hearts, that we might reflect the love of Christ. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Let every heart say, Amen. Amen. Again, as we looked at it on last, we talked about the essence of salvation, that God's uh, substitutes himself for man and then God sacrifices himself for man and he puts himself where only man deserves to be. So Christ died in our stead, put himself uh, as a propitiation or as a, uh, a, a redemption for you and I. So God sacrifices himself. He made himself no sin that what? Uh, to sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. And then divine satisfaction through divine order or divine sacrifice at the cross. And then God expresses his judgment on sin. At the cross, God endures judgment against sin. And at the cross, God enables salvation for sinners. Uh, then that's what we finished up on this last lesson. Then we want to get into the night uh, the Spirit was sent, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is the foundation set, so we'll get into the facet of this first part of our study, really. And we've got the cross, and obviously at the end of this story, Jesus dies on that cross, and he rises from the grave, and he ascends into heaven. And when he does, the Spirit of God is sent. And this leads us to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And the end of Luke's gospel, Luke 24 and Acts 1, both of these give an account of Jesus being lifted up into heaven. And the Son ascends into heaven, 
And then the next chapter, the spirit descends to believers on earth in Acts second chapter, verses one through four on that day of Pentecost. It says that on the day of Pentecost, it arrived that they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a, a from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And just imagine the scene. And divided tongues of fire appeared upon them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit uh, the, is, is to convict us of our sins. So the Spirit does that. It comes down, as Jesus had promised, doing exactly what he had said it would do, that the Spirit convicts us of sin. He says in John 16th chapter, verses 8 through 11, he said, when he comes, and we're talking about Jesus said that he will convict the world concerning sin and the righteousness of judgment out of John 8, 16th chapter, those verses in 8 through 11. And in the spirit also, uh, it applies salvation. Uh, the spirit convicts sinners, but the spirit also applies salvation. And this is the text that we're going to get into a little bit later on in Titus, the third chapter. The Bible says that he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to what? His own mercy by washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So it is the spirit that applies uh, salvation. And watch this in a twofold manner. First of all, it applies it through the spirit empowered uh, proclamation of the gospel. So the gospel gives us uh, the opportunity to have salvation. Uh, here's the deal. In order for to be saved, somebody or someone has to hear the gospel. And then the gospel requires that a, a human person uh, to speak that word to another human being so they're able to hear the word. So the Bible says Jesus had died on the cross. He would be risen from the grave in order to reconcile us to God. And then Jesus had died on that cross. He's risen in order for us to be reconciled. This is the message that we have to tell and deliver by this human being to another person speaking to them about the gospel. And by the divine power accompanying that, that word, that uh, throughout all of the books of Acts and the gospel is being proclaimed by the divine word of God that it will come and to redeem the world. It's proclaimed. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit then on that day of Pentecost and the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in Thessalonians uh, first chapter. And Paul talks about how the Thessalonians and they still are with us in Thessalonica, I hope, but they receive the word and just in the word, the gospel, not just in the word, but also by what? The power of and the word and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, it says then in First Thessalonica in first chapter in verses four and five. And the spirit anoints and it empowers the proclamation of the gospel and then and through the Holy Spirit, empowered proclamation of the gospel, then through the spirit enable response. So the spirit 
gives us the proclamation, but the Spirit also gives a response. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but when someone is saved, uh, they are born of water and of the Spirit. The scripture says in John 3rd chapter, verses 8, that he's born of the Spirit. And so here is the deal. All of this has to happen in order for someone to be saved. The Father is satisfied. Uh, the Son is sacrificed. The Spirit is sent in order for anyone to be saved. It has to go through this process. And then in order for anyone to be saved, they must hear the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit and the Spirit, everything that we are about to talk about, uh, the doctrine of salvation, is what is the work of God's Spirit in salvation. So salvation, God uh, reveals our need. So the first thing we want to talk about is the doctrine of depravity. So when you look at it, a pine and outline uh, a lesson, God reveals that our need for him and it changes our heart and God enables our belief. And the way that God does that is by these things in salvation is through the spirit of God. That's how he accomplished these things. So the foundation is served at this point, the cross and what happens on the cross the glory of God, the sacrifice of the Son, and the sending of the Spirit. How does this save us? And this leads to the doctrine of salvation. And the first part is, I got it there, it's going to be a little bit but a recap, but it's important that God reveals us our need. And the doctrine of depravity does that. In order for us to be saved, that we have to be saved from something and to realize that we need to be saved uh, uh, from something that we are dealing with. Then Francis Schaeffer was one who asked the question, what would you do if you met a modern man on a train and you would have about an hour to talk to him about the gospel? Schaeffer replied, I would spend 45 to 50 minutes on the negative to really uh, to show the man his dilemma that his moral uh, 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 dead situation that he's in, and then I would take about 10 or 15 minutes to be able to preach to him about the gospel. So he's saying is the most important thing that we need to do when we're presenting the gospel to someone is to explain to them that they need the gospel. There is a need. Nobody is a uh, is swimming in a lake and cries out, save me. But the person that is drowning in the middle of the lake, he's the one that cries out, save me. So we must have a, a, a consciousness about our depravity, knowing that we have no other way to get out of this, but to be able to call upon the one that can save us. And see, nobody is swimming, uh, said in the lake, but we got to realize that we need to be saved from something and then we are never going to get the whole beauty of salvation until we get to this point of feeling the need of being saved. So I hope we get that enough at least to see us a picture that we wouldn't say, well, my life isn't that bad or I, I'm not that a horrible sinner or I'm not that deserving of death or eternal death. And then starting at a point of salvation, realizing that that's all of that is a lie. We, we are that bad. We have been that horrible as a sinner. And God will send us to hell in our sin. 
But that's the starting point. So until we come to that point, we'll never get the rest of salvation. So you have to come to realizing that you are depraved and you're in need of a savior. And, and then and put it in Genesis 3, entrance into the sin, into the world. And just to remind us what really the core of sin is, we have rejected God's word. And I want to notice that's how sin started here. The first thing that happened in Genesis 3, that now the serpent was what? He was crafted than any other beast in the field and the Lord had made. And then he said unto the woman, did God actually say that? Eve had been suspicious as soon as he heard those words. Did God actually say that? And then she had uh, been suspicious because there was a snake talking to her. Anyway, she should have been suspicious. So that's one thing that should arouse suspicion. Even deeper than that, the question, did God actually say, is the first time that word was smuggled in. And this covert, subtle idea that comes into the world and, and that the word of God is the subject to the judgment of men and that it's driven falsehood. The idea has driven falsehood ever since. It's popular books that said that, did God really say that? It's dangerous that we've been uh, rejecting God's word and we've earned God's authority. We asserted our independence from God and God said, don't eat from that tree and we're going to do it anyway. And he's not Lord over us and we have denied God's character. This is Eve in her sin. Adam in his sin saying, God's way is not good for us. Our ways are better than God's ways. God is not good for me. I'm better. Oh, we see the essence of sin. Eve and Adam, they trusted Satan rather than trusting God. And think about it. The horror of it, that anytime I sin, the picture of me saying to God is that your ways are not best for me. I have a better way and I don't trust you. So this is our sin that we have. So our status is that we've denied God's character and status. And God said in Genesis 2, for in this day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. He said that in his word, just as sin came into the world, and I quoted it earlier, through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because what? All sin. That's Romans 5th chapter, verses 12. So this is the doctrine of depravity. Ladies and gentlemen, that we are dead in our sin. We are unable to save ourselves. That's the situation that we're in. The consequences of sin are all over our lives. Run through them here. Our minds are blinded. We are futile in our thinking. We claim to be wise, but we are fools. We are fools, the Bible says, that in since they did not that which fit the knowledge of God, God gave them over to debase or reprobate mind to do what they ought not to have been done. That's what he tells us in Romans 1st chapter, verses 21 through 23. Our minds are blinded to see our emotions are disordered. Dishonorable passions are always in our lives, passions of the flesh. Our bodies are defiled. Romans 1st chapter said God gave them up to the lust of their own hearts, to impurity, and to dishonoring of their own bodies among themselves. Our wills are distorted. 
None of us is righteous and we are all turned away from God and our will does not submit to God's law and it cannot to submit to God's law. Our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with God and we look at Genesis 3 after the fall of man and the relationship that once marked by love and joy and peace unhindered communion with God is now marked with what? Guilt and shame and fear. Guilt, shame, and fear. Just all familiar with broken relationships, even with one another. The very beginning of the next chapter in the Bible, murder, Genesis 4 and 8. Uh, Cain kills Abel, and, and because of this same problem with guilt, shame, and fear, the very beginning, again, that Titus James 4 and Titus 3 tells us that all quarrels and fights are ultimately due to sin in our lives. Minds blinded, emotions are, are, are disordered, bodies defiled, and wills distorted, and all of us relationship with God and others broken because of sin. We are all slaves to sin according to the Bible. Jesus says that everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin, says that in John 8th chapter, verses 34. We are dominated by Satan in the, he says, in snares of the devil. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, the world, uh, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John and 5 says we are lovers of darkness. The best thing that we want before God or each other is our sin exposed. And then we run into darkness and we run from light. We hate light. We run to darkness, darken in our understanding and hard hearts. And, and we are children of wrath. And we are see that in Ephesians second chapter, by nature, we are what? Children of wrath in hardened hearts, in hard heads, and hard minds. We are perishing. It's clear that all three of these things are in our text today. We are condemned before God in John 3 and 8. Uh, two verses after John 3.16, just two verses after John 3.16, when he says that for God so loved the world that he has given us his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But just two verses after that in John 3.18, whosoever does not believe is condemned. Sin brought uh, condemnation to all men, Romans 5 and 18. See, we're condemned before God, and we are lost without God. And it's why Jesus came to seek and to save those that are lost. He says that in Luke 19, 10. And we are lost without him, and we are separated from God, alienated from him. And our problem is not that we've missed us, but we've made a few bad decisions. Our problem is that we are cut off from God, and every one of us separated from God, morally evil for our sins in Genesis 8 and 21. The intention of a man's heart is evil said even from his youth. And there's a reason why my precious, cute, three-year-old and lovable son had been so sinful because he's born with it. Jesus says in Luke 11, obviously you're evil. We are sinful and sick. 
We are spiritually dead, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what Ephesians 2 and 1 tells us. And also he tells us that the wages of sin is death. He tells us in Romans 6 and 23, dead in our trespasses and our sins. Uh, with the, when the Bible says that in Ephesians 2 and 1, the original language means dead, dead, not mostly, but not mostly dead, but truly dead. Dead, we are destined for hell. And if we know that it is not popular doctrine, but in our scripture and all over the words of Jesus Christ himself, Scottish Professor James uh, Dennis, he wrote that if there is any truth in the scripture at all, this is true, that those who stubbornly refuse to submit to the gospel and to the love and obey Jesus Christ and cure at the last end it, an infinite irreparable loss, and they pass in, into the night on their way, no morning dawns. Hell is a place where in Mark 8 and 48 said, the fire is not quenched. Scripture teaches us that hell is a place of fiery agony. The lake of fire is called in Revelation 20, the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, Revelation 21. And the people said, now do you really think this literal, literal fire and sulfur, aren't they just symbols? Okay, maybe, maybe, but it is not that case. If they are symbols, then what are they symbols for? If they are symbols, snow, vacation, happy hunting grounds, no. They are symbols that means anything. They mean that hell is the most dreadful, darkest, a place of divine destruction, a place of eternal duration. Revelation 4 and 4, 11 said, the smoke of the torment goes up, what? forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Thomas Watson, uh, this uh, uh, Puritan preacher, he said that, that this is hell, that would uh, uh, they would die. This is it in hell. They would die, but they cannot. The wicked shall always be dying, but never dead. The smoke of the furnace of sins forever and ever. And one who endured thus will be ever upon the rack. And the word ever breaks the heart. Our solution, what is the solution to this? And this is sin and our status. We've rebelled against God. We are blind. We are broken. We are children of wrath. We've been separated from God. We're spiritually dead. We are destined to hell. So what is our solution? What can save us from this situation, huh? What can save us from where we in? Psychotherapy, that don't work. Psychology don't work. Just think uh, better uh, uh, thoughts about yourself. That don't work. Your education ain't doing no good. Culture, uh, just learn more. Knowledge saves, not deprive knowledge. You're going to try harder, live better life, do better next time. Uh, raise your hand, say a few words, sign a card, walk down the aisle, and none of this stuff works to save you from your sin. What we don't need is superficial religion telling us that everything will be all right. Brothers and sisters, throughout history, people have tried to cover up their sin before the holy God with religion, uh, offering sacrifices, singing songs, and doing deeds and attending church, and none of these will work. God says in the middle of Isaiah, the first chapter, your sacrifices are 
uh, trampling my courts and an abomination to me. My souls hate them. That's what God said. Same thing in Jeremiah 7. We don't need to try harder. The problem is much, much deeper than that. Uh, Jeremiah 17 said, sin is what? Engraved on the tablets of their heart. And we don't need a superficial religion to take care of that. We need a supernatural regeneration. We dead in our sin. And we need to be born again. And we need a new heart. And that's the question. Truly, follow really close to me because of, of the heart. And that someone is born of a certain time. So someone has being uh, someone is born again at a certain time. Let me say that over again. If everyone is born at a certain time, but someone is born again at a certain time, reborn again. And now, this is the key because sometimes in uh, uh, circumstantially, uh, this plays out differently in different people's lives. Some people remember exactly the day that they accepted Christ and they were born again. Oftentimes, adults said that they were saved on a Thursday night or a Friday night. But some can't remember. Some were more specific. Paul remembered because he has had a drastic change. Uh, God knocked him down on that road to Damascus. So he remembered his, his, his day that he was converted. But then we look at Timothy who was raised up in the church and he was always a part of the church community. So sometimes he may not have been exactly knowing which day that he accepted Christ or which day he was saved. But the thing is, that's not the difference. The big difference is that it didn't just kind of gradually develop. It happened. You were born again, and that's what it means to buy instantaneously born again. It just didn't happen uh, over time. It happened uh, instantaneously. Then it's also, it has to be unrepeatable, meaning it doesn't happen at various times. Once you're born, you're born. So it's unrepeatable. And you're alive and you're alive. You don't have to be born again because you're born again. No, born again means born again. You do it at one time and that's it. You're born one time and you're born again one time. And that's what it means. Instantaneously, unrepeatable, and mysterious. Mysterious because it's what? It's a spiritual thing. Listen to how Jesus describes it again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear not where it sounds, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is also when everyone is born of the Spirit. He said that in John 3rd chapter verse 8. It's a spiritual birth which makes it in a sense a mysterious thing. So it is an act of God also. Now look at, we already talked about that some, how we can't choose to come to life. You can't choose to be born again. Someone has to act upon it in order for that to happen. Scripture never says be born again. It never says that, never says that be born again or you'll be saved. This is something that happens to us. God does it and God gives the spiritual birth and you are born not of blood, but the will of the flesh, but not of the will of man, but what? But of God that he tells us in John 1st chapter verse 13. See, regeneration comes from the Father. Jesus said, 
No one comes to the me unless the father who sent me draws him. In John 6, chapter verse 44, God being rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ. In Ephesians 2, chapter verse 4 and 5, and of his own will be brought up forth by the word of truth. That's what James 1 said. So from the father through the son, he has caused us to be born again by what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First Peter 1 and 3. And from the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, we are talked about through the Spirit-inspired proclamation of the gospel and the response of the gospel. In the Word, you have to be born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. First Peter, first chapter, verses 23 and 25. Now, let's pause quick. And this is huge. In our efforts to be able to lead people to Christ, sometimes we run right past the great glamorous reality that only God that can give spiritual birth. In much of the contemporary evangelism, we try to uh, augment the message into a just gospel and, and make it more palatable for people to be able to receive it. But when we do that, we're missing the whole point of salvation. And the reality is because God's work in regeneration, uh, because I believe regeneration, uh, uh, that, 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 that because I know that this is the true base on the word, that I can stand in front of of a group of people who have cold, sinful, dead hearts, and the people that the world would at least expect, the church would uh, uh, at least expect uh, to respond favorable to the gospel. And I don't uh, conjole them to be able to get them to respond to the gospel. I just speak the gospel, and I got the confidence that what? The Spirit of God uh, will do something that is going to happen that's not going to be natural. It's going to be what? Supernatural. Somebody is coming out because of the Spirit of God does this. And I don't uh, have a manufacture something in order for them to get a response. That's not our duty. I need to be able to get them to uh, be able to write that would be able to miss everything after this. You think about it, that when we just talked about how can people who are morally evil at the core, who are not, uh, who, that who they are, uh, how can they choose God? How can they choose to do good? How can people that are sick make themselves well? How can people that are slaves set themselves free? How can the blind choose to receive sight? How can lovers of darkness run into the light when they hate the light? How can an object of wrath uh, be able to appease a wrath? And how can those that are in dead, meaning dead to sin, choose to be able to choose life? How can many who uh, one day thought that I think that I, I'd like to come to life now and you are born? No, that doesn't happen that way. You cannot think you are born and be born. In order for these things to happen, you have to be acted upon from the outside, right? There is no list of boxes to check off in your life at this point to be saved. You're dead in your sin. You can't check off anything. You can't save yourself. 
and you need God to do this for you. And that's why we talked about it before uh, preaching, uh, before about this seminary professor or preaching professor that used to take his students into the cemetery. And then he did his students one day uh, uh, to preach over the grave, to call people that are dead to rise up from the grave and to walk out. And one by one, each student would step up in this awkward uh, to be able to uh, to be able to preach to those who are in the grave. And he says that you are speaking to those that are dead. Huh? And, and, and apart from a life giver, nothing happens. So you can preach to the dead all you want. God has to do the work. Our duty is not to save people. Our duty is to preach the gospel. And when we preach the gospel, God will do the work. God will draw. He said, no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them. So we got to be able to preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word so men, women, and boys and girls can see, be convicted to be able to receive our depravity, then come to God crying, what shall I do to be saved? That's the word of God for the people of God tonight. We thank God. We're going to stop there. We're going to get into uh, the doctrine of regeneration in our next class. But we thank God for you joining us on this night. Uh, we talked about uh, what it does what is needed in order for us to be saved. We got to come to a knowing knowledge of God. We got to come to him and knowing that he's the one that's saved. The Bible says he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we're seeking God's word to be able to make an impression upon our heart and those that we preach to preach the gospel. Allow the gospel to go out to do the work. The word of God will go out and say that I will not return void. So let us be committed to preaching the gospel. Tell men and women and boys and girls about what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. But they need to have the invitation of the Spirit to come into their heart, convict them to be able to, uh, to knowing that they have a need of a Savior. Once you feel deprived in the need of a Savior, Christ will come in, clean up that old rugged heart of yours, and turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh and to renew you all over again. And he said that you must be born again. He told Nicodemus that in order for you to have salvation, you've got to be reborn. Born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God that will be able to change you and to be able to make your life different. So we thank God for you joining us on this evening. And we're excited about getting back into our classes. But we, 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 we know that Nothing that you do for God is easy, so all of us got to make sacrifices. But I do thank God for you making the sacrifice and joining us on this Friday evening for this Bible study. God is in the blessing business, and what God want to do is God's desire is none be lost. But you have to make the response. Once we send out the message of salvation, you have to respond by receiving that message and to be receiving the call that God has uh, sent out to you. And he says, once you receive that call, he says, thou shalt be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you are saved. God bless you. Let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come. And we're excited about your word, Lord. And you said that, that you want to be able to offer salvation to everyone. No desire that none is lost. But it's up to us to send out the gospel and it's up to them to be able to receive the word and respond accordingly. Lord, we thank you today. Just be with us and stand by us. Bless our ministry here. Bless every 
part of our ministry, God's gift ministry, our clothes and our grease ministry, our teaching ministry here and preaching ministry at On the Wall E Ministry. Bless our, uh, our, our business here at Alta Vista Church Supply. Bless it and that we might be able to be a light to those that are in darkness, to be able to supply all of their needs according to your riches and glory. God bless you, and may heaven ever smile upon you. We'll see you again on Sunday morning at our Sunday school hour, and see you following that at our worship hour at 930. God bless you.